Welcome to Into Theology. Uh, Ian and I are back to uh, look at John Calvin's Institutes of Christian Religion. We're in book back. four. Book four. Yeah. Uh, I think we may have, we're, we're in one sense. We're not going to talk couple. about me surviving the Rona? Come on. Oh, well, Ian is back from the near end of everything. So yes, you had Rona first. So <laughs> I, let's I was, talk about Rona. I'm sure precipice. we can, uh, I'm sure we can like figure out some sort of Christian analogy. So you had coronavirus <laughs> and for some reason you skipped the podcast, which is lame. Oh, you yeah, should totally have done it lame. with coronavirus. So I know. Tell us it, your it, experience. How <laughs> was, how was the Rona? Yeah, it sucked. <laughs> it's like, you can't, it's not like you can be like, well, that was a good experience. I'm glad I had that. Yeah. Um, it came out. Yeah. I got, I got it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I had it to like a good week and a half and it was when it first hit, it was kind of like just a bad flu and mm. uh, just low grade fever, aches and pains. I was flat on my back for about two days. I felt like Shane McGowan. You probably don't understand that joke. That's okay. Nope. Um, and uh, yeah, so after about after about three days, I lost my sense of taste and smell, which was really weird. Do you have um, it back yet? Yeah, thankfully. Okay. I, was, I was like, I was really bumming out. I was like, man, if I don't get my sense of taste and smell back and I can't like taste beer or whiskey ever again, I'm going to be really bummed out. Which you would um, never have. No, I'm a Baptist, so I would never right. have that. So Correct. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't know that taste anyway. Right. Um, and Root then- root beer yeah and then uh, ginger beer from jamaica non-alcoholic um but thankfully i came back the weirdest thing to eat was white rice i, I was just like what the heck is this it's just this, the, the texture <laughs> the texture so weird and huh. not being able to taste anything but uh, honestly what like, we were vaccinated back in the spring and i think that kind of helped mitigate damage uh in terms of just like the effect the worst part of it was just really having fatigue. Like I was just so tired. I was trying to read. It's like, I'm trying to grade papers and I just could not do it. It was just like words were just like kind of bouncing off the front of my eyeballs. And, but here I am back on campus first day, feeling great, ready to record. Look how dedicated I am. Yeah. I, I wish we did a, a Rona cast where you were just sort of mo- mostly incapacitated. Uh, it it's like, what is it pretty amazing, but well, I'm, I'm glad you're wild in, in more, in more serious tone. And I'm glad you have your taste back. Cause I think one of the things is I just talking to, you, I knew you were going to be fine. Cause you had the, the, it was, you were sick, but it wasn't like you're going to the yeah. hospital, but yeah. some of the ongoing symptoms are, are, can be really horrible from what I understand. So yeah. The worst part, honestly, was like having to have, having to be so tired and then having your four kids home in quarantine and like our youngest, he's five. He tested positive, but didn't have a single symptom. So he was just jumping off the walls at home. Oh my gosh. You know, (laughs) it was just all, and you're like trying to like just relax and get some rest. And and these kids are being maniacs. It was my wife and I were both like, you know, half dead with tiredness and and then these kids were being crazy so that that sucked <laughs> but yeah, we're back. yeah you almost want like you'd have it one week then your wife the next you can kind of like balance yeah out we get parenting. it would actually kind of work that way oh, where okay. we get waves of like she'd get fatigue i'd kind of be okay so i could deal with the kids she'd go to sleep for a bit and then it would flip and then i'd be super tired and i'd have to go lay down and she'd deal with the kids and we're trying to do their homework our kids school was letting them zoom into class we're trying to sort all that up so yeah it was just crazy just as a note that it is a little bit funny how like a couple of years ago, if I had a flu, it wouldn't be like an event to talk about yeah. but just because everything is so centered on this coronavirus, which for, yeah. for most people is, is basically a flu. Um, it's, it, it does feel like a big deal. Like, I think if I got coronavirus now, I'd be like, Oh, this is kind of a big deal. Like I could tell people, you know, like, yeah. 
I didn't like I, telling I did people. something interesting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I don't want to be flipping about it either. Mm. Uh, a lady, a lady from our church, actually, uh, her funeral was just a few weeks ago and she was just in her fifties and man, she got it bad. Like she was in such bad shape that they couldn't even do the tracheotomy to, oh, no. to get a yeah. breathing tube. Like she was, she was in a coma for like a month and, uh, oh my goodness, man, like it, it was devastating, really bad. And I've heard of other stories of people like that too, where they're That's just right. in really rough shape. Well, the amount of people who have actually <laughs> passed away is, is hugely, even, even if it's, I don't know what the actual numbers are. Let's say it's half or percent or one, but like it's still a huge amount of numbers yeah. and uh, it's impacted so many. In fact, out here, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a uh, congregation in Nova Scotia and somehow three people are connected to it who have passed away. Um, so I, I don't know what that means if they were like how they were connected to it. I don't want to speak into a situation I don't know, but like it's it is pretty significant even on a, like a congregational life where if it gets in there, it can affect so many people and yeah. uncles, aunts, all that kind of stuff. So, well, uh, you needed the medicine of immort the medicine of um, of coronavirus, which was some pill or something. But now we can talk about the medicine <laughs> of immortality, the sacraments. There you go. Ooh, that's a good transition. The Lord's Supper. Well, in particular, I guess we'll talk about the Lord's Supper a bit, but the sacraments in general. So I think we wanted to start by looking at Calvin's definition of sacrament, which is interesting because he says it's nothing other than what Augustine said. Yeah, which will be, exactly it. I don't know. I'll just ask. And then he, throughout this whole chapter 14. So we're in chapter 14. He uh, is basically citing Bible and Augustine. <laughs> like yep. those are his, I don't I think he maybe mentions Chrysostom too, but it's basically Augustine throughout. So yeah, I don't know if you want to read uh, 14.1 and just kind of, we can go off from there. Yeah, so I'm going to read from um, this uh, abridged version, right. which is the be beverage translation that's edited by Tony Lane and uh, Hilary Osborne. And uh, I, I'm doing this because this is actually um, the, a text that I use at, here at CCU with my historical theology students. And so I just have a lot of notes in it. So <clears throat> we'll have slightly different versions of it, but... Um, yeah, his, his definition uh, right at the very beginning, 14.1 of what a sacrament is, is so helpful. This is exactly my own view. And as you say, he's going to pull directly from Augustine in here. Um, so I'll just read the, the paragraph as it, as it appears here um, in, in this edition. So Calvin de de defines a, a sacrament like this. He said, alongside the preaching of the gospel, the sacraments are a great strength to our faith. A clear doctrine is needed to explain why they are instituted and how they should be used. First, we must look at what a sacrament is. The simplest definition is that it is an outward sign by which the Lord assures us inwardly of his loving promises. This strengthens our faith so that we can prove our calling in his sight before men. Uh, more briefly, a sacrament is God's witness to us of his favor towards us by means of an outward sign. We in him confess our faith to him. Augustine defines a sacrament as a visible sign of a sacred thing, or a visible form of an invisible grace. But his definitions are too brief, which is why I have expanded on them. Yeah, so, so gives, go, oh, go ahead. He gives, he gives like, a, like two definitions here, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's really great. So it's that classic thing and thing signified, right? So here you have this outward, outward sign, um, whether that's the elements of the Lord's Supper or it's the waters of baptism, as he's going to argue that he's a good Protestant. So there's there's two sacraments. And uh, <clears throat> and so what what's happening is that when you either consume uh, the, the elements of the supper or you undergo the rite of baptism, um, you are then engaging in this outward sign 
but it's signifying something internally to you that he's going to argue is going to come by way of the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is actually something that's meant to strengthen our faith. So this is why sometimes we'll describe the sacraments as a means of grace. And, uh, and it does, uh, does this by, by assuring us inwardly. So here it relates to the doctrine of assurance of the promises that God has made to us in Christ, these covenantal promises that he's made to us in him. And so then this, this inward assurance is what then strengthens our faith. Um, this is why mm-hmm. Calvin's going to press to observe the Lord's Supper weekly, even though that won't happen uh, in Geneva for him because of city council. But uh, nevertheless, he wants this regularly. And I agree with him because if you're, if you're constantly being strengthened in your faith and given assurance inwardly because of this sacrament, then the Lord's Supper is something that we should be observing on a, on a, on a regular basis. I think it's also useful too, like when he defines it, he's just, he's basically just saying that uh, sacramentum is the translation of the Greek word mysterion. But I think what he gets at is helpful because he's saying like, look, these are like divine mysteries, divine things of God. And so there's a kind of an, like you can kind of discern a, a bit of an improper sense of sacrament. Like you could, Calvin maybe hints at it, but like you go outside and see a tree and say the tree is wordlessly proclaiming the glory of God. So like Psalm, yeah. Psalm 19. But there's like a proper sense of sacrament that what which is he what he's getting into here, which is going to be the Lord's Supper and baptism, because the Lord Himself has instituted these things and attached the sign by the word to these yep. external signs that meant like as you noted, kind of confirm, verify, ratify what's true internally, namely your your faith and the promises of God. Uh, well, it's actually, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things he has. I, I think um section three is really interesting. Yeah. The way that he correlates promise sign confirmation seal promise and ratification because you hear this that um sacrament is, is a sign and seal of faith um it may be like reformed confessions but i i found it useful because he just kind of walks through it and some because you hear that as like a almost like a slogan but he actually explains what it means so i don't know do you have yeah. anything you want to say about that or i could summarize it well, yeah, he's just gra- so the, the sacraments don't have, and he'll say this later that they don't have an effect in and of themselves, right? Just because you take take it or consume it, that you all or, or that you undergo the rite of baptism, that you just immediately, you know, in a one to one fashion, I take this, I immediately get some sort of benefit or grace. But it actually has to be grounded in what he calls a prior promise, <clears throat> and so um, he says the sacrament. This is number three. He says from these definitions, we can see that. There cannot be a sacrament without a prior promise. The sacrament simply confirms the promise. So we already have these promises in Christ that we uh, appropriate by faith. And so now what the sacraments are doing is that they're actually like now confirming or sealing that, uh, as you noted there, the word sealing. And so he says, and this, and this is all an act of, of God's great grace to us, right? God allows for our slowness and weakness and strengthens our faith in his word. The truth of God is stable and sure, but our faith is feeble so that unless it is supported on all sides, it is shaken and brought down. Our gracious Lord with endless understanding brings himself down to our level and by earthly means leads us to himself. That's awesome, right? So the, the sacraments are another great act of God condescending, meeting us at, at, at our level where we're at in our own weakness in order to further strengthen us in our faith. Mm. And uh, so, I mean, they're, they're so gracious on God's part that he would give these to us. And we don't really see... We don't really get that. Right. And so we just, it's a, ta- you know, it's a tack on 
to the end of a church service. I mean, sometimes here at CCU, I hear students that'll gather together and they're like in their dorm room and have chips and pop and you take the Lord's Supper. I'm like, no, 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 you can't do that. That's not, that's not what this is for. The carbonated um, cola, bless your soul. May these oh, chips Doritos. Communicate. <laughs> uh, Doritos. Um, so, okay. So my question then, I mean, Kelvin answers about ask you, but I'll pretend you're Kelvin is like, well, if I don't have the, my beard's not long enough. You don't have your beard long enough. I didn't so point shave enough. much. Yeah. Uh, you need your French accent, presumably what you had to, uh, is the question is like, so if they're based on a pre-existing promise, um, like, so what's the, like, why would you actually need these particular signs? Like if faith is sufficient, what was the point? Like, I guess that's seals, the question. It seals the promise to you, right? Seals so the it promise. confirm, it confirms that promise for you. Uh, and it, and it's this it's this regular reminder of the promise because we're so so quick to forget, right. um, and 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 having those elements before you, uh, whether that's the waters of baptism um, that symbolizes our washing in Christ, our our identity with Him and His death and His burial and His resurrection, or whether it's the elements of the supper, which is the bread and the wine, which symbolizes body and blood. Those are these visible reminders to us. That when we actually undergo that right, it actually then brings it to bear inwardly. I think he would say in a kind of mysterious sort of way um, mm -hmm. that these that this this happens, and um, and so every covenant comes with some sort of a sign of the covenant. And so sure. as he says in number six, right? He he alludes to that. Uh, he says the Lord calls his promise promises covenants and calls his sacraments signs of the covenants. Uh, they are exercises which confirm our faith in the Word of God. And, uh, and that's why he'll quote Augustine is calling the sacraments visible words, um, which is such a, such a great way. So you hear the preaching of the gospel mm. and then you see the, the gospel itself in those elements. Yeah. I think too, like to add to that, um, he gives a helpful analogy for me at least, and then also another theological argument for the science. So the analogy is like a, a government official could write a document that says, this is law. But then there has to be a stamp of approval, like a stamp of, of uh, the signs and seals it, right? So yep. everyone knows the seal doesn't really mean anything unless the paper says something. But at least at his time, and in some ways in our time too, that really it's, it doesn't change the promise. It just, it, it gives that sort of visual, it gives that tangible sealing, ratifying force to it. And I think probably with contracts, we kind of understand how that works. There's a real yeah. sense in which... Yeah, you might be married to your wife, but the moment you put the ring on her finger, there is yeah. there's something a little bit, I'm not wearing mine, but there's something a little bit more, uh, there's just something to it. There's something special. There's something complete there. I could be, I'm still married to, actually, this is a good now. I'm still married to my wife without it, but I probably should have worn my ring because <laughs> what that signifies is a sign and seal and, and it, the ratification of our uh, marriage, which is real, despite if I lose the ring, it's still, I'm still married. The second yeah, theological thing, which is, but you're also what you're showing by this, what a governor is showing by putting a seal in it, uh, on on a, on that kind of a, a, a document, <clears throat> is that uh, they're all in. Like I'm committing mm -hmm. myself to this. So this is right. God. This is God saying, "Here I'm all in." And what oh, a good better point. what a better visual, right? Than to to demonstrate that God is all in for us, than having uh, the waters of baptism and having the bread and the wine that symbolize right. the gospel, what Jesus Christ went for, went through for us. Um, yep. So the, the signs are, the signs themselves are entirely appropriate to what the actual promises of the gospel are. I was going to say something else, but I, I want to switch because it's, it's helpful to think, okay, so we, 
Cal, uh, Augustine calls them visible signs of invisible grace or something like that. So water, as water washes your body, so it's that's a visible sign. Invisibly, it's showing the, the washing of your heart. With yeah. the meal itself, there's a the visible, you know, eating and so on. But the invisible thing is a sort of mediating sustenance to your soul. So yeah. as the as food and drink sustain and grow your body, so spiritual food and drink sustain and grow your soul, if you want to put it that way, yeah. which is important. Here's the thing I wanted to say is that um, Calvin's anthropology, his theological anthropology here, is really important to understand the coherence of his argument. And so he, uh, in, for example, in section three, says now because we have souls engrafted in bodies, he imparts spiritual things under visible ones. Not that the gifts he's not that the gifts set before us in the sacraments are bestowed with the natures of the things, but that they are they have been marked with this signification by God. And so there's a real sense in which he, he understands us as an uh, irreducible union of body and soul, Kelvin. And so he understands these bodily or earthly signs to actually signify the deeper spiritual reality, just like our body is a union of body and soul. I mean, he doesn't actually bring this up, but I think it's fascinating too. You can think of the incarnation in many ways. I mean, Jesus is the visible, invisible. Yeah. He's the created, uncreated. Yeah. Uh, one, I mean, one reason for the incarnation is simply that we could know God in Jesus Christ. Obviously, there's more to it because of forgiveness and all that. But one reason is that we could know God through our sensible organs, faculties, yeah. sight, smell, touch. I mean, First John, look at First John, how First John opens. What we've seen with our eyes, we feel with Amazing. our hands. It yeah. goes through all the senses. And that's actually quite important because then you'll talk about the word of life, the logos of life or the word of life. And the word of life is that the invisible God who became visible for our sake. And so there's this sort of binary there. But anyways, that's not a perfect analogy because we're not obviously the union of God in, a, in the same way. But no. there's something there that's similar, at least. Yeah, no, totally. Um, it's interesting, just as a side note, too. Because Calvin drawing on Augustine, I think, is important uh, because of the way that uh, medieval Catholic uh, sacramentology kind of didn't work along these lines. Um, so one of the critiques that somebody like uh, Wycliffe will make of, of transubstantiation and that will get picked up by the reformers, Luther does it, uh, a lot of the others, uh, the magisterial reformers, they pick up on the idea that uh, that transubstantiation is not a sacrament uh, because the sacrament, you have to have a sign and a thing signified. In transubstantiation, the sign actually becomes the thing signified mm -hmm. and you lose the sacramental quality. You don't, have a, you don't have a sign anymore pointing to a thing signified. So if, if Augustine's definition of a sacrament is correct and Calvin is saying it is, and I think it is, then in transubstantiation, you actually lose the sacrament instead of actually getting it in a more amplified way. And I think that that's a really important thing to take note of because the elements, the sign actually then is transubstantiated in the supper to becoming the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. And wherein then is the sign. Yeah. Um, there's so many things we could talk about. Uh, one thing that's valuable is in section nine. Yeah. The I think it's the, na the nature grace binary here. So he says, um, what hearing is to the ears, so that you can hear a noise, what seeing is to the eyes, so that you can see something, is what the Holy Spirit is to the heart, so that you have an open heart to receive faith. Awesome. So by, by, by nature, hearing is that faculty of, that your ears use to hear. Seeing is that faculty that your eyes use to see. But actually, by nature, your heart is unable to be opened. It's closed, or, or it's a heart of stone, or whatever. So you need grace, and that grace is the faculty, as it were. <laughs> 
mm-hmm. to open your your heart and the holy spirit does that and i think this actually goes into like how how are the um the sacraments effective well effective in the more literal sense is because the spirit acts in them and so if you receive it by faith the spirit is actually allowing that their openness of your heart your soul to actually grow just like food might make your make, make you grow taller or if you're older your stomach grow wider <laughs> Yeah, the, the spirit is genuinely growing your soul. You remember what regeneration is, at least according to the New Testament, or, or Paul, for example, talks about our inner man and outer man. Our outer man is decaying. At the resurrection, the outer man is perfect, but right now the outer man is decaying. Our inner man is growing from one level of glory to another. That's your soul. That's your that's your your uh, existence and what you imitate God. It's the the fruit of the spirit. It's all of that kind of stuff yeah. that grows genuinely through opening your heart up by allowing the spirit to open it wider and wider so you can receive the signs baptism lord's supper that then uh, grow your heart to uh, just your faith basically to widen that faith to grow to deepen it so that you are able to discern between good and evil and be mature by practice to use the language of hebrews and romans 12 probably mixed up a little bit well it's interesting too because like as you say about faith there it, it explains so numbers seven and eight have to proceed nine here so in number seven what he's saying is that uh you you appropriate this by belief right this is not just something that if you take the sacrament you instantly get grace which would be the case within transubstantiation and roman catholic thought but he's saying here and he's again quoting augustine um, that you actually have to receive jesus christ by faith and so he says we can be quite sure that the lord offers us his mercy and a pledge of his grace Uh, both in his word and in the sacraments, but it can only be grasped by those who received them with faith. Augustine referred to this when he said that the efficacy of the word is produced in the sacrament, not because it is spoken, but because it is believed. And therefore, then you can go into number nine, where then the sacrament is going to, its its efficacy is going to be accompanied by the Holy Spirit uh, in his power, who can alone penetrate the heart and stir the emotions. If he's not Mm. active, the sacraments will uh, be no more use than the sun <clears throat> shining on the eyes of the blind or sounds sent into the ears of the deaf. And yes. so like the, the effectiveness of the Holy Spirit in terms of bringing that, you know, inward strength, that assurance and things like that, it's only for those who already have grasped Jesus Christ by faith. And that only happens by the power of the spirit and regeneration too. So it's amazing. It's why you see that Calvin is really described as the theologian of the Holy spirit because the Holy spirit is all throughout this. It's all throughout. And it's interesting. The language opened the heart. I mean, it reminds me of Luke 24, the road to Emmaus, Lydia, I think yeah, Lydia. as well in Acts, um, other place in Acts too. There's, it is the spirit that is the illuminating agent. I mean, finally at the end of section eight, he, the spirit or God, I guess, illumines our minds by the light of, of his Holy spirit and opens our hearts for the word and sacraments to enter in, which would otherwise only strike our ears and appear before our eyes, but not at all affect us within. And then a little bit later on in section nine, he says, but the sacraments properly fulfill their office only when the spirit, that inward teacher comes to them by whose power alone hearts are penetrated and affections moved and our souls open for the sacraments to enter in. Yeah. I guess, I think you might actually read that, but it was a different version. Apart from the action, the spirit he'll talk about earlier. Now, there's a couple of things that are interesting. So um, I don't know if it's in the institutes. I think he might get there. As he says the word exhibit, but he also does in his other writings in the sacraments. So there's a real sense in which Christ is truly exhibited in the Lord's Supper. He'll say that. But even in the institutes here, I can't remember the, the section offhand. He does get into like the Lutheran idea of unjust eating. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the Latin phrase offhand, but you know what I mean. Um, 
So on page 1291 or section 15, he says, on this, you are everywhere told that a sacrament is thus separate from its truth by the unworthiness of the recipient. So nothing remains but a vain and useless figure. Uh, but he goes on and on and on. Um, I think I'm reading that in a context, actually, he has a whole argument. So, but it is interesting. Do you think, what do you think about the idea? Like Luther might say, even if you're, uh, if, even if you don't receive the supper by faith, you still receive the, the genuine presence of Christ. But Calvin, I think would probably say, does no. he say that about non-believers at the non-believer? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I say I'm not, I, I haven't read that recently, so I don't have it stuck. In yeah. My head. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's no matter what, I mean, I think his argument was like, well, that's why you would, that's why you could fall asleep. Like if you eat it, you're repunished because it's oh, unjust. I see. But, uh, okay. but yeah, Luther and then others in the Lutheran tradition are, I don't know if after the formula of Concord, what they think, but like, yeah, very strongly, at least some like West, West Bella, I believe is the name are, if I remember right, pretty strong on this unjust eating. So, so a person who doesn't eat by faith can still have it, but it is, uh, it's very bad to do so. It's condemning. It's condemning, which yeah. I, I, I'm a little bit split on this because I, I do agree with Calvin 100% that solely by faith will the spirit enter and enlarge your heart. But I do think the sign truly exhibits the thing signified. Calvin actually says this too, by the way. If you read his debates with the Lutherans, like the, um, sorry, my brain is a little bit, I've read these months ago, so my brain is not super sharp on it, but if you read his debates, he'll say, no, 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 no. Wherever you are, whenever the sign is exhibited, it exhibits the thing signified. So Christ is exhibited. Yeah. But you can, but the, the faculty of reception is basically faith of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, that's more Vermilia as well. Uh, but it is interesting, whereas Luther would say, I think, even if you don't have faith, you're still, it's still Christ. You're still munching on him. But so, but then what would be the effect, I guess, is probably the, I think the it'd be a condemning question. effect. It must be. Because, so yeah. you would be eating as a, now is unjust eating. Is that for somebody who is a Christian who is in some sort of unrepentant sin, or is it for the actual unbeliever? So like if, a, if an atheist were to take the Lord's supper, would they then uh, receive, because they're covenant breakers, so mm. would that mean then that they, uh, that's why they're drinking curses to themselves or eating curses to themselves, because now they're taking the sign of a covenant that they're not part of. And they're as, as covenant breakers, they're only going to be the inheritors of the curses of a covenant. And so when you take that, then you're actually consuming those curses. I, I mean, I'd I, have I to think look. So. I mean, this, have is, to look. this is some months ago when I was reading, so my brain is a little bit unfresh on it, but yeah, the idea of unjustine is a, is a big Lutheran. Yeah. Now Calvin seems to not really, I did read that quote, but I think that was wrong for me to read it because it was actually a concession discussion about Lombard uh, he, he almost seems to not mention it maybe intentionally or maybe he will in the Lord's Supper chapter when we get there yeah it'll be interesting because Cal Calvin is very much trying in his historical context right you've he, he there's this risk that the Reformation is going to blow apart right ironically over the Lord's Supper the Lord's Supper is supposed meant to, to be unify unify people and it's the main thing that's blowing everybody apart yeah. and Calvin Calvin would say that if he had to choose between like a real absence view that sometimes gets ascribed to Zwingli, uh, or if he was to, or, or between that and then Luther's view that we, that the reformed called consubstantiation, he's like, I'm, I'm with Luther. Um, right. I'm not quite there, but if I had to choose one or the other, I'm going to go with Luther. And uh, what Calvin's really trying to do is trying to hold these two sides together, the Zwingli and the Luther sides 
in order to preserve the the unity that they have as Protestants, because you've got like the Holy Roman Empire coming breathing down your neck, and France, you get the, the papacy breathing down your neck. You got all these other yeah. countries that are hostile to what's going on in terms of their monarchs breathing down your neck, and you're like, mm-hmm, we need a united mm-hmm. front here, and we can't get we can't get ripped apart by this. And so, I'm, uh, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of conciliatory language in Calvin and trying to bring people together. Right. Yeah, I think when you read his debates, which I had, um, I think in the 1540s and 50s with with Lutherans, which ends up being kind of the end of his life, he he is uh, much more open to like a Melanchthonian view than because remember the Institutes, by the way, is meant to be like the basics that you go to the yeah. commentaries for. So. He actually doesn't really mention, but I, I just be very curious. I mean, I think that would be a point of disagreement, but maybe not a harsh one. Like my own view is basically the sign truly exhibits Christ. So if you don't have faith, Christ is still there, just like preaching the gospel and so on. But you just, you don't benefit from it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, like if anything, it's not that gonna... Christ isn't somehow there. Uh, I, I know it's mystical or whatever spiritual presence, but you don't benefit. There's no, your heart is, is like stone. So it's like water hitting your, your heart and it just goes around it. Yeah. If your heart's open by the spirit, it becomes a container for the waters of the spirit to fill. And then it yeah. grows and grows. That's kind of how I view it. So yeah, I agree. Maybe I'm in the, I, I'm I, and I, I think it's not just that you, it's not that you just don't benefit. You actually, you actually get a negative effect. You get a negative. Yeah. Net negative. Yeah. <laughs> it chips away I, the heart, the heart yeah. of stone. I love Damn what it. he says in, in 17, uh, the sacraments have the same function as God's word. They offer yeah. Christ to us and in him, the treasures of grace they are useless oh here we go they are useless if not received in faith yeah. just as wine and oil when poured out will go to waste unless they are poured into an open vessel so that kind of answers what we we're just talking about mm-hmm. if the vessel is not open it will remain empty even if the liquid is poured onto it uh, so we must not go along with some ancient christian writers who have exalted the sacrament too highly there is no special virtue inherent in the sacraments themselves uh, they cannot confer the gifts of the holy spirit on us they can only bear testimony to them they cannot open our minds and hearts without the holy spirit's power the sacraments are like messengers of good news. The Holy Spirit, whom the Lord gives to his own people, brings God's gifts along with him, gives a role to the sacraments and makes them profitable. God carries out what he has promised in the signs and makes them effective. Hmm. So there mm-hmm. you go. Yeah, I mean, Kevin's pretty wise on this. I, I tend to, my view tends to be kind of be his or Vermeulee's or mm-hmm. Cranmer. Well, Cranmer's interesting because he's sort of, he's sort of Lutheran then becomes a little bit more Vermeulean. As time well, goes the, on. the English Reformation was a Lutheran Reformation at the very. I mean, you, like, I mean, Tyndale was basically plagiarizing Luther and a yeah. bunch of his stuff. And so, uh, uh, Carl, Carl Truman's PhD is is all about the the kind of Lutheranism of the early English Reformation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think there's some. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. It's just it's just kind of interesting no. how it all works out. So yeah. Well, I would say this might be a good place to stop. We we covered the sacraments, uh, their signs and seals, the promise of God. The promise needs to precede them. Calvin will say. And then we're going to get into, I think next week we'll talk and they, about And that. they have this great effect, right? Like they, they have, have the effect. effect of like uh, bringing assurance, bringing confidence. Right. It's that in, inward thing that's happening by the spirit. Um, that's why I think they're so important is that we, we shouldn't neglect the sacraments in our worship and our church services because we need them. Like I need it. Uh, sometimes you'll get people will say to you, well, I can't take the Lord's Supper today because I sinned this week. And, you know, it's like, no, no, no. That's if why you take in, it. Un, if you're an unrepentant sin, do yeah, not take sure. it. If, however, you're struggling with your sin, you need it more than ever because this is actually going to be the so, way that you're going to, one of the means that God gives you to be able to help you fight against sin because it's actually spiritually nourishing your soul, strengthening you such that then you can actually 
have a, a greater chance or a, a greater hope of victory in light of uh this is where i'll put my luther cap on for just a quick moment and say like because the sacraments are the gospel or signs of the gospel yeah. if you feel like you've sinned or unworthy as you i mean obviously if you're doing it like and you're just being evil about it but no if you've sinned and you feel guilt over like that's why you go yeah <laughs> because yeah, in exactly. the gospel it's not yeah. like you run away from the gospel if you're a sinner christ came to save sinners and if the sacrament, the Lord's Supper in particular, is the sign of the gospel, a sinner should never run from the gospel, but embrace yeah. it. So you should always embrace the Lord's Supper. Now, you made a good point. If you're unrepentant and evil and you're just doing it, well, that's, but that's not what we're talking about. Most people just feel guilty because they're grieving over sin. The, the, I did, there's one thing I actually want to note. Um, the Spirit acts. It looks, so in 1286, the end of section 10, Kelvin says, the spirit transmits those outward words and sacraments from our ears to our soul. So there is a real objective nature to this as well. Yeah. Yep. You need the faculty of the, of, of faith or the faculty of the spirit, whatever you want to call it to receive for sure. But the God's objectively working in these two. So it's not just a, that's why they're visible, tangible yes. signs. Those are objective. I love, I don't know if you've ever read a book. I can't remember the woman's name now, but it's called the spirituality of wine. She's interesting. Yeah, I know that my brother read it, actually, I think. Yeah, she's got a PhD in theology, I think, from like St. Andrews or Aberdeen or something. Mm -hmm. And but she grew up in Germany on a vineyard. And and the book is really, really cool. And she talks about how like in the early church, like they would actually get you to do things like what what people would do is they would dip their finger in the wine first and actually put it on their lips and Mm. actually like, like sit and contemplate like the through the wine that's actually in the mouth instead of just like knocking it back like you're taking a shot is that you're actually really supposed to actually savor it and think about like through the physical act of taking the supper contemplate the inward reality that's actually happening to you in right. that moment i was like that's really good that's why I like great oh, so useless that's what kelvin actually says he says look early on he says like, you, you got to rise up past these signs to contemplate he actually uses that language yeah Very, like so and he uses rise up at least uh, at least twice too. Yeah, that, that's important. And one thing is like we're we're so used to technology and used to work as as mainly production that I think we forget the tangibility, like the actual like feeling of things. Yeah. But these signs are meant to like help us to 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 to, to, to I don't know, experience our faith maybe. But yeah, one thing is is that I would my kind of personal view is that there's there's an objective nature to these things. Yeah. That doesn't res- that you can't avail yourself of unless you have faith for sure it's not like god just does it to you but uh you need that faith the spirit needs to open your heart but there's an objective exhibition of christ and i think sometimes they're a little bit too afraid but i mean the bible i don't think is too afraid to talk like that i don't think so um anyways let's stop here friend this is good uh we could go on forever about the sacraments but we kind of will i suppose we'll do i think we'll do baptism next and then the lord's supper we'll kind of or we could do it we could do them together or do them together yeah we'll kind of skip through a little bit more because it's a lot of these are co-connected and uh What's at the end? Church discipline? That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We yeah. might be done in like three weeks and then we can do Augustine. Can't wait.